my whole life, I feel like just doing the right thing, saying, you know, being at the right place at the right time and just being open and being giving to what the universe is asking of you. And if you do it, it's magic happens. Ma literally magic. My life has been magical in every sense of the word. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me, and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm particularly excited to bring you a very fun conversation with a very special guest, my mother, Linda Church. Linda is a human rights activist, businesswoman, philanthropist, and mother. Her career began as co-founder and president of operations at one of the first cellular telecommunication installation companies, VCI Communications. She spent the last 18 years assisting numerous nonprofits by raising over $10 million through various projects to build schools, daycare centers, health clinics, and educational programs, all centered around alleviating poverty and elevating humanity. Additionally, Linda was just producer on the documentary Kids Chasing Paradise. While Linda appreciates being a successful businesswoman and human rights activist, she considers her greatest achievement to be raising four kind and loving children who make the world a better place. Wow. Shout out to that, mom. We talked all about life in our conversation. We dug into her backstory of growing up in Morocco and immigrating to the U.S. at age nine without speaking a word of English. She shared her American dream from working as a maid to building and selling a software company with her brother in her 20s. We talked all about her relationship with faith and religion and how marrying a guy with the last name Church actually helped her raise kids even more Jewish. If you like this podcast, go check out episode number 15 with my dad, Jeff Church, and also check out episode number six with my sister, Nina Barber. Without further ado, please welcome my mama, Linda Church. Mama, welcome. Thank you, Josh. Uh, super excited to finally have you on as a very special guest in this podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored to be your 101. Yes. Following you. And yeah, and 100 because you got to interview me and now I'm excited yeah. to flip the script and interview you because I have questions. I know other people have questions. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to uh, excited to chat. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. My pleasure. I love it. Um, so you're celebrating. This is a pretty interesting and fun time for you. A lot of celebrations. You just celebrated yes. a big milestone birthday, if you care yeah. to share. Number 60. Number 60. 59.99, right? Isn't that what yeah, Mime says? that's what Mime says. 59.99. <laughs> uh, turning 60 and you just became a grandmother. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a highlight of my life. Once I became a parent, I set my goal on becoming a grandparent. <laughs> yeah. Was that, that's something I remember you shared with me was that, and with all of us is that like you, you knew from a young age, like you wanted to be a mother. That was yeah. like your dream job, as you said, right? Always. I never had any desire to go into business or go into the workforce. My, I always gravitated. I was the babysitter in the family. You know, I never cared to go to parties or go out. I always wanted to be with the children. I love wow. Being with, I love being with little kids and I, I love to see the world through their eyes and they're just so innocent and pure. Yeah. And how they rely on us to be able to nurture them too. Yes. Yeah. Well, man, I'm just thinking, how lucky did I get to like manifest you as my mom, like to choose you as my mom to be born into in this life. So that's yeah. great. Unfortunately, it took me a while. I didn't have my first child till I was, I was pregnant at 30. So mm. I was 31 when I had Nina. 
Actually, I was 31 when I had Nina. So yeah. I, had I started earlier, I think I would have had uh, at least four more. <laughs> at least four more. So it's interesting, too, because you say that you didn't want to do get into business or anything else, but you ended up getting into business and everything else, too, right? <laughs> As you, you know, we say, we plan and God laughs. That's right. And that seems to kind of be the story of, uh, that kind of seems to be a theme with your life, right? Man plans and God laughs. Here you are. Linda Church with the last name Church. I always love sharing when I'm Jewish with people or when I say my last name's Church. Like, oh, that's great. It's like, yeah, and I'm Jewish. Like, oh, great. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's a pretty fun thing, too. It's like man plans and God laughs, huh? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I, you know, when I met your dad, it was a very difficult time in my particular life. My brother had just been away and had come back it was like two years later and yeah. it was just a really difficult time and I remember thinking oh you know what I, I'm just gonna go out have fun my sister Ruth like convinced me to go, just go have fun stop you know worrying about everything and everyone mm-hmm. and um I thought oh the name church oh it's just for fun it's just for fun and the more <laughs> it was just for fun and the more I got to know your dad and the more I realized Wow, values really do matter. Yeah, and um, and our values were so aligned, mm. and we had so much fun. That's great. <laughs> he always always makes me laugh till this day. I think that's one of our secret ingredients in our marriage. Of how many years now? Uh, thirty-two. Years. Thirty-two years. I, yeah. I just I woke up the other morning. You know, Dad's a very number oriented. Uh, guy complete opposite of me I am like oh my gosh numbers and me don't get along but I said to him wow do you realize I have spent more of my life with you wow not you I we've been together we've been married for 31 years and we've been together for 32 years Mm -hmm. and I've only been on this planet for 60 years (laughs) but I have a feeling we were together in another uh, uh, realm yeah. of this universe. Yeah. So. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty powerful. So I, I feel like also that the fact the fact that his na- last name was Church probably allowed you to like open up and be a little bit more like fu- have more fun with it because you're like this couldn't possibly go anywhere. So like this isn't this isn't gonna go anywhere. So it's just gonna be fun. And then that kind of led to you getting serious. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. I just kept, and the more he kept saying, like, I'll never forget one day. It's like, I mean, I think it was like our third date. We never really kind of dated just the way it went. But he said to me, I wonder what our kids would look like if we had kids. And I thought, oh my God, this guy's like so way out and left. I'm never having kids with this guy. And of course, now that I think about it, oh my God, I have the most beautiful children from the inside out. Uh, It's just so funny. It is. You think back to those moments. But yeah, one of the things that your dad and I, I mean, you know, we actually separated after. 10 months or nine months of being together because at one point you know he realized like oh her Judaism is really important to her and she's like Mm -hmm. you know she's not kidding and I really don't know if I want to raise religious kids and what does it mean to have a Jewish family he met my family and you know it was like my big fat Greek wedding exactly like my big fat Greek wedding and you know all the different languages and he's like middle America you know grounded meat and potatoes and give him his cheeseburger (laughs) he's all happy and and he comes into this huge Moroccan family where you know everybody's speaking three different languages at one time and and he's thinking to himself like oh what did he get himself into yeah you know and what did I get myself into so we decided you know maybe this really isn't a good idea Mm -hmm. so we we split up and then in a quick couple months we realized that we really couldn't live without each other and he went on the uh exploration of what does it mean to raise children Jewish he was not a religious man so you know for me it was a non-starter if he wasn't willing to raise all of you Jewish I felt it was really for me it was Mm -hmm. the way I knew to be the best mom because my mom was an incredible mom and we went through our own challenges and that is what saved me my faith and my 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 Judaism my my connecting to the source, to Hashem, the way Mimit showed us, 
you know, and taught us the values of life, mm. you know, very specifically, my biological father was not a very nice man. He was really bipolar. People met him would think he was the nicest guy, but at home, he was a, literally a monster. You know, we've, Ruth's been in the hospital over, you know, leaving a bicycle out. Um, our Your uncle David was held at knife with a knife at his throat for over four hours till we were able to, mm. you know, uh, one of the uncles and the police were able to talk him down. So it, it, it was, and for me, I was pretty much non-existent to him. I was very close to my mom being the third girl. So all those different, I mean, there's a lot of stories, but yeah. I think the most important one that, you know, I recall Mimi just saying to me, like, I've so many times wanted to stab him. Like, literally, I want to kill this man. Like, I just, I visually saw myself killing this man. And Mimi would just calmly, and she got the brunt of it, would say, you know what? There is a God and justice will be done. We may not see it. We may not understand it, but that's not for us. Not our job. Not our job. Our job is live our values, move forward, always moving forward, always seeing that there's, there's a mm. brighter side and there's a reason and, um, you know, just no vengeance. And so that was like one of the first things that I, I, That's I tough. recall. And Mimi would always say to us, you know, at the end of the day, you go in the grave by yourself Naked is our tradition in a white shroud, and it has no pockets. You take nothing with you but your good name. So you let everybody do them, and you do you, mm -hmm. and you do you according to the Jewish law. So for me, it just made so much sense, and it's just inherently what I knew I wanted to do in raising the four of you and understanding those values yeah. about life. And uh, and so that was really impactful. So I, I said to daddy, like, look, you want to marry me? It's got to be the Jewish way and, yeah. and, and a Jewish home. And what does that mean? You know, a kosher home and all that. And he agreed. And here we are. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> uh, I have a question for you. What's the fine? I love that approach. And I'm sure that got you through a lot. But what what's the fine line between accepting and almost like putting up with that versus doing something and, and shifting your position so you no longer have to be subjected to that type of abuse. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I think that's why I get my passion to work with the nonprofits that I do. Mm. And um, I think because the vulnerable in our community are the women and children. And um, the country where I was born, Morocco, and a lot of the countries that are women are really struggling and children are really struggling with the, these issues are a uh, real patriarch, uh, real misogynist, uh, type countries. And that's where we came from. And mm. that's another reason why I love America so much, because when we arrived to America, you know, Mimi would go into work with a black eye or, you know, a broken arm and, and she used her hands, you know, she was a seamstress. She baked, she was a hairdresser. We all cleaned houses. We all, you know, Works, we came yeah. here nine years old. I was nine when I, when we arrived, we came legally. We had to wait four years in Montreal for our papers and we had to study for the test. And so, you know, for us, America was like a dream because all of a sudden people are telling us, no, no, you don't have to live like this. Mm. This is America. And he doesn't have a right to do that to you. Um, where in a lot of these countries, the women don't have those rights or the children don't have the rights. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate and love America so much because it really brought an end to a very, very dark time in our mm. lives. And a lot of people don't have that. And in our community, we were very fortunate in the Jewish community at the synagogue and, and one of Mimi's friends at work between the two. One provided an attorney to help us and one provided the moral support for Mimi to be strong, to say, you know, enough's enough. And um, so, yeah. And I think I think that's why I love America so much. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, are in those situations but don't know how to get out and they need help and and being a voice for the voiceless is i 
feel, you know, Hashem has put me in a position to help in that capacity, and I do what I can. Yeah, that's well, that's so powerful. I love how that comes full circle. That's uh, yeah, that's that's pretty. It's it's so easy for us to forget that to forget that so much of the world lives in a completely different realm and and we don't even know what's possible and that's why the you know the work that you do is is so so very important so i want to dig into the philanthropy work in a bit here but before that i want to ask you about what it was like moving to america at age nine without speaking a word of english and you said you worked right away right you worked as a maid you started cleaning houses cleaning toilets right right away what was that process like and you and your brother and your siblings i ended up actually starting a company and running a very successful company so tell me a little bit more about that process and uh, and and the American dream that you lived. Okay, so when like you said, we didn't speak any English, so we were all uh, left behind one grade. So I, you know, we had to redo that grade that we came into from Montreal, and um, so we were always on the older side in, mm-hmm. our, in our school. And we uh, went to work right away. You know, we found jobs cleaning houses, you know, nine years old. And we were four in a one bedroom, two sets of bunk beds, you know, in a lower income community. Um, and we, I had the good fortune of always doing the dishes at, at dinner party for Dr. B and Mrs. B's dinner parties. And they were, uh, they were people from our school. And they would always have very interesting authors or people at their dinner parties. And I, I would, you know, be serving the meal and then doing the dishes and going in and out. And I would always be listening. And as I'm sitting there washing the dishes and I would think to myself, one day I want to raise my children like this. It's definitely not the way I was raised, even though my Mimi did an amazing job Mm. raising us but with the turbulence of my father, it was a very different environment. And so we, um, you know, I just thought one day I want this. This is what I want for my life and for my children's life, more Mm. importantly, because I wanted to give you guys everything that I couldn't have. And so I, you know, would just sit there daydream, washing these dishes saying, I'm going to do this. I want this. Had no idea how, no idea I was capable of it, but I certainly was manifesting it without even knowing the, what the word manifest meant. Right. Right. I, I, I just, uh, I always felt very close to God. Um, and I always felt his presence and the angels around us. Um, and that's really the faith that got me through the dark times mm. in my life. And so, um, yeah, so, yeah, so, that's so, so, uh, so good. <laughs> and, and, and it's so funny just connecting the dots to our, our previous conversation where you interviewed me on the podcast for, for the hundredth episode when you, you were mentioning that, and we were talking about how so much of my childhood, there was always events going on. Like there'd be events going on when we didn't even know we would pull up from coming back from school or football practice and the car would be lined with driveways because there'd be some guest speaker or author at the house. And and, and that was so much of what sparked my curiosity and being exposed to so many different types of people from different walks of life, which is for sure what led to a big curiosity with this podcast and why we're here. So it's so cool going back to the source of it, of you envisioning you washing these dishes with so much intention and visualizing yourself in a beautiful home with having speakers come through for your kids. So like, that's the root of it right there. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? And I think, I think, and talking about gratitude too, like I remember when we built our home um, mm-hmm. that I, we raised you guys in the four of you. I remember when we would drive in, like, I think the first six yep. months every day I would say, Oh my God, wonder who lives there i hope they're grateful i mean like i think like all those little bits whether you you know it you absorb it you absorb the gratitude like my biggest fear my biggest fear when uh daddy and i started our family and i we talked a lot about it is like i just didn't want spoiled kids yeah and you know a few things that really stuck with me is you know it's not only do as I do and not as I just say because you can say like don't lie but then be a liar right. and your kids end up learning to lie. But I think I think the most important thing is is having your having a philosophy on how you're going to raise your kids. Right. And and having like kids don't come with an instruction manual. But luckily early on I I 
understood that the values that Mimi raised us with were in the Torah, and that is a great instruction mm -hmm. manual on humanity, on humans. And when I learned, like, Noah wasn't Jewish, it's, it's not, the Torah isn't just for Jews, it's, mm -hmm. you know, an instruction book on humanity, and it helped me really understand the depth and the wisdom of it, and therefore I really tried to you know, take it a step up. Like when I would ask Mimi, well, why are we doing this? She would say, I don't know. My mom did it. This is what the way we did it. But I wanted being married to Jeff Church. I had to, you know, tell him why we were doing certain things. And it made me really learn mm. the beauty and the richness of our traditions and why we do certain things. And that was really important to me. So, so that's why, that's why marrying a guy with the last name Church made you more Jewish than ever. I think so. Yeah, I think that really, yeah. that really coins it for me because yeah. a lot of things I was doing just because that's the way we always did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's a powerful shift too. With with, and I think that's a, a a reason why a lot of people don't have a great relationship with religion is because they don't have those answers or seek those answers, but you took the time to actually seek those answers and you found the answers that helped you develop even stronger faith, it sounds like. Yeah. I have to say, I was listening to a Dennis Prager uh, uh, show, yeah. Yeah, show one day and he, and, he said, and he said something that really hit me. He said, religion done good is something so beautiful. Religion done bad is something so horrible. Mm. And... and Religion for me was done good growing up, not from the perspective of my father, because he here he's supposed to be, you know, this Jewish man, but he never really followed any of those values. But my mother did. And she was a true Eshetchai, a woman of valor. And the way she protected us and the way she raised us with such love and and she was so strong i mean she just mm. put her head down did whatever she had to do to get us through to the next phase and always uh gave us the you know like for an example when she married pop-up she didn't really ever want to get married again but pop-up said look i can get you and your kids to stop working i was 14 at the time mm -hmm. and you know you guys you know your kids can focus on school and you can, you know, and I'll take care of you and you don't have to work anymore. And she came to us right. and said, Hey, like I will continue my four jobs. We all can continue working, but this is the offer the pop-up made. And, you know, he's going to take care of us. What do you want to do? And, you know, with her experience and the abuse that she went through, it would be totally normal if she never wanted to see another man. Yeah. No kidding. Right. But, she gave, she let us make that decision wow. with her, for her, and for us as a family. And when we did that, we were like, heck yeah, stop working. We were like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all in. That for, uh, for a while, because, yeah. you know. Um, so I think that that, you know, just really helped us, you know, get to the next step of being able mm -hmm. to have, you know, Pop-Up, who is an American man, who, you know, encouraged us to to open up our own business, that we can do it, you, you know, you can do it. And, you know, Uncle David was always very ahead of his time in all his businesses, always on the edge and cutting edge. And so I... Yeah, and so I want to dig into this VCI story. So, but to set the stage, one of the things that you you said, and this has been a theme from a lot of our conversations, is that when you're sitting there visualizing as a nine-year-old in a house cleaning dishes, you're visualizing your dream home that you actually ended up building one day. You're visualizing your future children and all of these things that all ended up coming true. You, did you know how you were going to get it at that time? No. Had no. No clue. You I, just I, had faith that it was going to unfold. Right. And not and not even that, like, I... It's not even that, like, I, I envisioned, like, my... Specific house. Uh -huh. I envisioned the feel of a home mm. that was open to all, a home that my our whole family will come and share, and anybody that needs a safe space because I needed that safe space. Right. So it's it's a visual of of a feeling of of openness mm. and love and and wanting that of enriching. Yes. Because you, you no money can buy that that type of richness. Right. It, it's a richness that comes from an open heart of having your home open to all and 
I mean, you know, one day when I pass, you guys can go through this box that yeah. Debbie and I have saved of all the different thank you notes of people that have stayed and found refuge in our home. We had 17 people living in our house at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, at one point in high school, we had 17 people living there. And, and and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have experienced that that home and can relate to that openness and that, that, that's, that center of refuge that it have. And what my takeaway from that is that you fo- focus on the feeling and then the form will come even better than you can imagine. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not only just a feeling, but it's a, it's a wanting mm. and it's a desire, right? And I think it, it's a desire that, that if it's a desire for good mm. and for open and love and for God's work, I feel it just flows and comes into creating and into being. That's beautiful. So with that being said, you are now in high school. You didn't go to college, right? Did not go to college. I actually was married before. Mm-hmm. So I got engaged at 19 um, and married at 20, right before my 20th birthday. And um, I wanted to be a mom. But then all of a sudden, I see some patterns that are not so good. And I think to myself, oh, my God. I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be a divorce person, but here I am. I, you know, married someone very prominent in our community, you know, belonged to both shuls, but, you know, had gone check the boxes from a, from an outside perspective, from the outside perspective. And for me, he was the first real man that ever gave me affection and love so Mm -hmm. I felt overwhelmed by that and he was a really nice guy yeah I mean he he was you know family loved him and all um but he had a different idea of what it meant to be married and faithful and I was very young and I was a good girl so I you know made a lot of excuses for him at the beginning but once we got married and made everything official it became very clear that those were patterns that um, he wasn't willing to change or kept trying to change, but it actually wasn't going to end up changing. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had my own share of faults coming into, it takes two to tango, right? Um, So I, uh, I, I painfully, and with the wisdom of my mom and Aunt Ruth and Uncle Al and Uncle David, the four of them were very instrumental in helping me make the really tough decision. And, and Aunt Deb gave you the warning before too, didn't Aunt she? Aunt Deb tried from the very beginning. I She's literally putting on my makeup the day I'm walking down the aisle and she's begging me not to be married. Oh, man. Of course, when Papa and Mimi just, you know, everybody's coming from Morocco, from France, from Israel, you know, everybody flew in and it's a, you know, Mimi's doing this big party and, um, and all of a sudden Debbie's putting on my makeup. She's like, don't do this. You're making the biggest mistake. Don't get married. Don't get married. And I, lo- I loved him. Yeah. He's a good guy. And I thought, I thought I could change him. I thought marriage would change him. Um, and I thought being married would change his habits. And I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned in life. Uh, and I think I had to go through that to understand that lesson was you really can't change people. People can only change themselves when they want to mm. change. If you're changing for someone else, um, it's not going to stick because eventually your true self comes back. I think if you want to make, like I've wanted to make certain changes in myself Mm -hmm. through my life that were just habits from my environment. And it took me years and I still work on it. And I tell people those are, that's daily work. Yeah. You know, you get up every day and I say my prayers every day and say, please, God, give me the strength today not to lose my temper. It's like every day. And, you know, to know that I'm successful is, you know, you and Nina one day were talking and you said, oh God, I don't think I've, I, I, I can't remember when you've lost your temper, right. but I lose my temper and it's daily work. And I have to think about it every yeah. day when you guys were little, I had four kids, you know, going, a lot of things happening. And so I, yeah, it's, it's daily work. Yeah, it is. A t- it's a daily practice. It's a practice because you're never going to be perfect with it. So yeah. 
So you you leave the, with the support of your family and and some friends. You're able to leave that first marriage, right. and then was right. what was well, that around the time? It actually started. Uh, I was married. Okay. And my brother David was working. Um, he was still in high school, and he was working at um at a video the Storm. old the old cassette, you know, the very old one. VHS? VHS cassette. And it was new. And VHS, VCRs were just out. And he um, he was running that store for... Mm-hmm. for <laughs> this lady just lady came just in. just came in. So he was, running, he was running that store. And he realized that there was like a niche. A lot of people were bringing back their VCRs. They're broken, they're broken. But when he would plug them in, they weren't broken. So Uncle David was always on the edge of technology, uh, really advanced. And he's like, you know what? We got to start a business. And I was working as a receptionist with Uncle Al in downtown Philadelphia. And I was married and we, you know, all I wanted to do was have a family, have a family. But the more trouble I was having in my marriage, the more I was realizing I'm not going to have a baby yet because I do not want to bring children into this environment. I don't want to repeat the pattern of my fa- of my past so i was very intentional and every time we had a big blowout he thought the solution was let's have a baby you know and mm. my solution was let's not have a baby because we got to figure this out yeah and and so i was married for, for him for five years from 20 to 25 that's so young it feels and, like and well you know i think back uh you know if he was the right guy, it would have been fine. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been fine. Yeah. And so I, so then uh, Uncle David comes home and he's like, we just got to start this thing. Let's call it video and cable installation, VCI. And, what was the tagline? Uh, Don't get shook up, get hooked up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> With VCI. And I'll never forget Richie, uh, our neighbor that lived up the street from us, a wonderful young man who... Um, who lost his father early on, and he spent a lot of Shabbat at our house, and uh, he was going to Drexel, and Drexel just got the first Macintosh computer, the Apple computer, and he brought it home to my house where I used to live, and he hooked it up. He's like, okay, we'll start this business. Let's make a little pamphlet, and we made this little pamphlet. It said, VCI, uh, video and cable installation, don't get shook up, get hooked up, call David or Richie. And then we started being so busy that we had to hire a technician. Uncle David found, his name was Guy, who's a lovely man who was working for the cable installation because all these people were returning these VCRs. They didn't know how to hook them up with the cable coming in. And it was a very simple thing. Mm. And I made all these pamphlets and I would go to Macy's and Best Buy's and wherever they were selling VCRs. And I would say, hey, my first sales pitch ever. And I hate sales. Yeah. It was my first. Hey, how many uh, how many VCRs are you getting returned a week? You know, And they would say, oh, this crazy number. And I would say, hey, if you refer them to us, it was $35 for a free installation, one hour, and then a 15-minute free how to use your flashing VCR number so we can get, you know, all set up a free mm-hmm. tutorial. And so we started our business and we had great customer service. And then, you know, talk about mentors. You really need mentors in life and they're so important. And one of the mentors that ended up being a very important person for us was Stan Walkman, mm. who then took fell in love with uncle david and you know just you know helped us well let's do media rooms you know he wanted a media room i'll be your guinea pig so then we became one of sony's top selling they they sent us to japan first class we were in you know the top seller in our in our area and then cellular was coming on and six months before cellular went live they were looking for installation facilities and stan knew someone at bell atlantic up in north jersey where they were doing all the testing he says oh, i got the people for you they're the best they came down they interviewed us they and then all of a sudden we're like fast we're growing so fast and we're installing cell phones six months before cellular went live. <laughs> wow and you know we're talking like the portables were those big briefcase the big oaky briefcase and we're learning you know and we're all like scrambling to learn everything because you know every 
part of it was new. So we're jumping from VCRs to media rooms to... Uh, I just imagine Uncle David the, coming home and be like, this is the next thing we got to focus on. We got to do this. And I'm like barely trying to keep up with him. And Aunt Debbie was living in Atlantic City, mm. partying it up. And all <laughs> of a sudden, like, we needed help. We hired, we were hiring so many people. We had four different facilities. We became resellers out in California, the first resellers of airtime in California. And, you know, we were grabbing everybody that we could trust, mm. you know, to help. And of course, during this time, I'm also really struggling with my marriage. And he's very upset that I'm taking the entrepreneurial plunge because he can't believe that I'm going to give up my $9 receptionist paycheck to go down this venture with my brother. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we started, you know, literally out of Mima's garage. And, uh, and then, you know, with the $5,000 that Uncle David got for his bar mitzvah. And uh, that's how we started VCI. And then we rented our first place in Gloucester City that had a bay. And then, you know, we just kept growing and growing Mm -hmm. and growing. And we ended up having like five different locations. And then as I was trying to manage all this because Uncle David was off, you know, doing all these deals, you know, doing the, the work. Literally, we were working about 18 to 20 hours a day, you know, for every Insane. facility. And the way we treat people, you know, anybody that worked for us, Mimi would cook because we wouldn't have time to eat. So she would bring food to mm-hmm. the office. We would feed all the employees. And, you know, we became a really big family. And um, and it was successful because I always say I'm not a salesperson, but I always told people like, you want us around. So we're, we're going to charge you what's fair because you want us to be around to be able to service you. And we, we got a really great reputation in our neighborhood and all the top dealers, the BMWs, the Jaguars, all the, uh, everybody would only recommend for car phone installations. car phones installations. So we had a great reputation, a great name. That's how you met dad, right? Through the car phone. I met dad. He, he came in with his BMW and the guy at the BMW referred him to me and, and to, to get a car phone. And uh, Uncle Mike, your godfather, was working at the same time to do a big deal with our sales manager, Dave Rasick. And so that was the ongoing story who got there first. But I think the, the thing with what I ended up doing, I said to David, like, every cell phone cost us $4,000, $3,000 at the time. We were selling them for 5000 And so I was like, we got to manage this inventory. We need to create some type of inventory system. And there was nothing out there. So uh, David hired me an engineer, a software engineer. And every day after we closed the business, I developed a software to manage our business. And I developed this software called Cellular Automation uh, Software Systems. And it was called CAS. And it became this very robust system to handle the point of sale of every transaction that we did from ESN, your electronic serial numbers, all of it. Yeah, how it all ties in. How it all ties in. So all of a sudden, I get the guy from Bell Atlantic that says to me one day, how do you have all this information so quickly? And I said, oh, I developed the software. And he's like, oh my God, I need to see the software. So... He comes in, he looks at what we've developed, and we capture all the customer's information. We capture, you know, all the vehicle information. We have, like, all this data. Who knew what data meant at that time? You know, we're talking <laughs> in 1980. Insane. Right? Insane. And so um, he says to me, you know, I really think you have something. I think you have something pretty magical here. I think you should do something with it. So I said, well, you know, David, what do you think? What, David's like, oh, why don't you go to Vegas to the, you know, the big show, the the big electronic show. So I took that compact. Did you see that compact? Yep. That I, so I took that and had my software loaded on there and I flew out to Vegas. I had one table. I was by myself and I set it up and all day from morning to night, I, the second day in, I called David. I'm like, Oh my God, I think we have something here. You need to send somebody to help me. I, You're just getting flooded with I people. I never went to the bathroom. <laughs> I couldn't eat from, they would close the, the convention center and I was still the last one there, four people deep wanting to see 
the demo that I was doing. And then Joe Foley from Bell Atlantic flew out to help me because we were so busy and always, you know, the, we just didn't have anybody to come out. And he flew out to help me. And uh, that's how I ended up getting our very first software sale was for uh, Cellular One out of, guess where? Ohio. I had no idea where Ohio was on the map. Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> and uh, a week later, I meet your dad, who's from Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, man. And I'm like, huh, where is this place? Oh, that's chills. And, that's amazing. Uh, and so your dad says to me, well, if you're going to end up getting that deal, you know, please let me know. We got to go celebrate. And so when I got the deal, we went out and celebrated and Cleveland became a part of our lives. Wow. Two of our four kids were born there. And, but you, I couldn't have picked it out. No, that. no. I had no clue. Never heard of it. You, know? you can tell me Morocco, Montreal, New York, uh, Washington, DC, uh, Atlantic city. I knew all those places, but never thought that Cleveland, Ohio would be a big part of my life. Man, I didn't know that bit about Cleveland. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> and so um, then we got acquired by Telesciences, who was a landline billing system that did a lot of data crunch. Big, big uh, billing uh, company in our part of the woods. And they really wanted to get into cellular. And we were all getting exhausted, working all these crazy hours. And we saw that Uncle David saw the shift of you know, the, the, Atlanta, the carriers themselves moving into the mm. point of sales. So we kind of knew it was time to get out of that end of the business and things were really shifting. So we decided to focus more on the software side of system and we sold uh, CAS to telesciences. We did a merger and the three of us, Debbie, uh, David and I went to work with uh, mm. telesciences. And so we went from super entrepreneurial you know, uh, David did two years of part-time college, not even, I think, because he, he, the business had grown so much. Yeah. We were just like, yeah, there's forget school. Let's yeah. Just blow and go. And um, so we were like all of a sudden in big corporate and wow. everything stopped. Like everything. All the growth. Yeah. Meeting, yeah. A meeting for one decision. And we're like, what? Why do we have to have a meeting for that? It's just like, this is common sense. Let's just do this. And no, 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 no. Oh, nope. Nobody yeah. wanted to have that responsibility and up the chain. And so it was, it was, it was two very uh, difficult years, but we got through them and I finished my consulting contract. I actually left because I had Nina and mm -hmm. I, I thought, okay, it's just not worth it. I want to be a stay at home mom. And yeah. I had my dream come true. And so daddy was like, Oh, totally. You know? So I transitioned out of my uh, last uh, six months of my consulting agreement. Amazing. That's so cool. I love that story. And then, so you transitioned into becoming um, a full-time mom, which was a full-time job when you had uh Two kids within what four, 13 months apart, twelve months, thir thirteen, 13 months. months apart, and yeah. uh, and then two others shortly thereafter running around. Um, what was what was your philosophy with with dad on raising your kids? You guys came to an ideal. I know that you wanted Jewish ideals and values was an important part of it. Was there any other things, their conscious decisions that you made around like this is how we want to raise our kids? Yeah, for sure. I think the Jewish part is, yeah. is a big one. I, I I know I talked about it, like daddy and I were asked to speak at a Moshe house where Yeah. And, you know, there was a few people that were thinking of interfaith marriages. And the one thing daddy said very clearly to all of them, and I can't reiterate this enough, is if if you're both into your religion, it's not gonna work. Mm. You have to figure out you know, very clearly, it always amazes me how many people get married that are from interfaith and have never had this discussion. Like, how are you going to raise your kids? And I think, you know, Judaism teaches us that there is no more important job than raising your kids or being a teacher mm. and being a parent and a teacher when you know the Hebrew and the words, they're all one and the same. And there's such a focus on that. And I think for us, it's it, it would be so confusing to have so many different 
philosophy or theology mm -hmm. in one home. So for for Daddy's comment that night, it really the heartbreaking of one of the girls that were there when we were speaking. She was in a relationship, and they both loved their religion. And you don't think it matters until you have your children. Mm. And once you have your children, then the rituals, all these little things that you didn't think mattered, mattered mm. because it's an extension of you. And a child, you want to. They're so pure. Right. And then all of a sudden you have this big responsibility. Like for me, I didn't get into politics till after 9 11. Mm -hmm. I'm not really political, but the understanding of the political values and the consequences of those. Right. That's what really mm -hmm. woke me up to understanding like, wow, I really have to understand this part of the world because I have a duty to teach my children. Right. And when they were going to ask me questions, I want to have the right answers. It's a great way to look at it. So it kept you on that learning journey of, of that. So, and, and was that around the time or when did you get back? I know you sit on many different boards. You work on some incredible projects. You've done endless number of fundraisers for incredible organizations. What, tell me a little bit, about, a little bit about this, uh, this for the philanthropy work that you've done and and this idea of social justice, and I know that you have a you you have insight on that word social justice, but I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that and some of your activism work. Yeah, so I think the reason I have I think whenever you put an adjective in front of a really important word like justice, it doesn't do it justice. Justice is justice is justice. There is a reason that Lady Justice has a blindfold on, and I think it, you know the Torah teaches us you can't you can't put a preference over a poor man over a rich man. Justice is justice. And if you start doing justice that way, it's really difficult. So for example, when we started, uh, when daddy started touring and talking in colleges about Nika and the entrepreneurship wave for social justice, him and I had this big conversation about, do we add, does, you know, I felt like justice. And then when you're doing that work, it, it impacts the social fabric of it mm -hmm. or the legal fabric, whatever, it ends up being true justice. But when you put social justice in front of a word, like social entrepreneurship or, or whatever it is, it really kind of changes the definition. Of yeah, it. interesting. And so we, we had different, uh, you know, he was the one doing the talks, so he ended up using the social justice, a social entrepreneur wave that mm -hmm. was coming through America. But I think you can see that even that ends up fading away. I think it's it's overused, mm -hmm. and it really changes the meaning, and it confuses a lot yeah. of things. So for me, I like justice. I like that. <laughs> so... And in your in your pursuit of of justice and 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 the activism work you've done, what what have been some of the or what's one project or initiative that you've worked on that have that has been so special for you? Oh my God, there's been so many. <laughs> it's a hard question. <laughs> what's one that comes? So actually, I'd love to ask you about the Little Hearts Big Hopes Gala. Because okay. I think that, that that kind of ties into, I mean, that, that, was a, that was a great cause, but maybe different from some of the activism work you've done. But I think that that was an interesting story of how yeah. some of the dots connected, right? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I said earlier is that we've always had a big open home. And we were doing Michelle, uh, our niece's uh, graduation party at our home. And one of the guys that worked with Uncle Al, his wife... Uh, they were invited and they were roaming our home and they realized the space and all. And she was neighbor with Dr. Paul Grossfeld, who does, he's the main doctor. He's out of Rady's Hospital and also does research out of UCSD for uh, the Jacobson Heart Syndrome, which is a rare type of mm -hmm. heart defect that people are born with, kids are born with. And so he, he does this amazing research, but he has to fund his research. And uh, they were doing it every year in their home, but they outgrew their home. And so they were looking for a new venue. And um, Terry being at the house for Michelle's graduation party sees the house and she says to Aunt Ruth, do you think your sister would be able to, uh, to allow us to use her home for, for this fundraiser? And it happened to be at that time we had we were just deciding to put our home up for sale for various different mm -hmm. reasons, and 
so when the, she asked, I said, look, I normally would say, yes, I would love to, but our home is up for sale and I can't commit that far out. They were, it was, they were asking us for the following May. Mm-hmm. So, but meanwhile, Paul had sent me his research and I was reading through it and it sat on my desk and I was like, oh my God, this, the work he's doing is amazing. And I'm seeing all the lives of these children he's saving. And normally if I can't help or do, we had a lot of requests for fundraisers at our home. I would take those papers and I dump them in the trash. But this one I kept on my desk. I don't know why I just kept it on my desk. In comes the holidays and Christmas, the house hasn't sold. And I took the the packet to daddy and I said, Hey, Jeff, I I don't know why, but we have to do this fundraiser, this little hearts, big hopes. I mean, this research is so important. I just really feel a need to do this. And by May, you know, we're not going to pull the kids out of school. And, you know, even if we sell the house, we can say they can move in June, you know, we can figure out a way. So he's like, yeah, okay, you're right. Let's do it. So we went ahead and did this. This was the year that Nina was graduating high school and Bella was graduating college. college. Right. And so uh, Mimi comes back from Israel and she mm-hmm. comes back and she is totally out of breath. And here's a woman that can stay up all night and, you know, she's like a bon vivant, like no other. And she's like, she can't walk from here to there out of breath. And she sees Paul at the house. We're going through how we're going to set up the venue and where the speakers Mm -hmm. are going to be. And she goes up to Paul with this this ultrasound of her heart. And she says, excuse me, young man, are you a heart doctor? And Paul's like, yes, I am. And she says, look, they told me in Israel, I have a hole in my heart. Is that right? And he looks at it. He goes, yes, you do. You have a hole in your heart. But that's not uncommon, and that's okay for people, you know, they get older, and there's nothing to worry about. And I said to him, I said, well, but she's really out of breath, and she's never been that way before. So he then connects us to Dr. Adler at uh, UCSD and has Mehmet do all these different tests, and Dr. Adler intuitively, the last minute changes one of these tests and says, you know what, let's do a nuclear lung test before you do all these three other tests. And then Paul and Dr. Adler are panicking, looking for us after Mimis test results. And uh, we all had our phones turned off. It was Shabbat. And uh, they finally get a hold of us. You got to get your mom to the hospital right away. She's a walking time bomb. She has like 20 blood clots in her lungs. Wow. She's literally a walking time bomb. And I had no clue how helping Paul Mm. was going to end up helping me, but it did. And then, you know, 10 years later, it helped us with Jacob and his heart condition. Mm -hmm. He took us to the top of UCSD. We became very friendly with Dr. Adler. And and so how one good action, you, you know, and I don't know why. It was sitting there. I just knew I had to do this mm. this, uh, this fundraiser without even knowing Mimi's condition, without knowing any of these events that, you know, the future held for us. And so I, I just really look at life like that. Every opportunity, you know, like, for example, uh, when I was on the JNF board, I had just joined and they had called me to say, you know, could you host a breakfast? And I was out of town at that time. I would have to come back and it was kind of complicated, but it was a good thing. It was a good deed. And I was kind of struggling. And I said, well, I said, you know, who's it for? And they said, Brigitte Gabriel, who happened to be one of my heroes. Mm -hmm. I had seen her video and I wanted to meet her. And I thought to myself, every time I watched that video, I kept saying, I just got to meet this woman. I just got to meet this woman. She's like so powerful. Yeah. So she's saying the truth about Israel. And I just, I just like, I just had to meet her. And I, every time I showed that video to so many people, it came in randomly to me. And I was like, and then all of a sudden she's going to be a guest. She literally walked in as she says, I walked into your home as a guest speaker and walked out as family. She ended up spending a week with me. I ended up driving her all over to all her different speeches. And eventually performing her wedding ceremony, right? Her wedding ceremony. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Both of her children. At our home. <laughs> at our home. Exactly. And so 
just life when you're open to it magic happens it and if you're open i think when you're open and sort of thing i love about your podcast you're authentic you're mm-hmm. not out there paying people to tap on your thing right. to get the downloads or to buy books or whatever right, right right you're doing authentically and when you do things that way i think people know it it feels it and it's real mm. and when i've never done anything in my life I didn't host any event that I didn't feel compelled to do, not because of the status, not because of this. Mm. It was because it was the right thing to do. I think one of my favorite quotes is from Martin Luther King. There is never a wrong time to do the right thing. And there's so when you live life like that, you're with an open heart and open and sharing. Like I don't for one second take granted the abundance of 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 goodness of of financial goodness of mm. my our of our prosperity even though we it goes up and down you know we've we've been at the edge so many times but we we've lived life so fully and and we count our riches not in dollars in our bank account but by moments and experiences that we've lived and that we've shared and who we've shared it with you know, all the different people that have come in and out of our lives that needed us at, a, at, at certain times. And for me, I know when I get wrapped up naked in my shroud, I'm going to go meet my maker with such a peace mm. of mind and a peace of heart that I've done the very best I could with what I've been given at this time in this place. And that's why I was brought here and I've done my job. Mm. That's so beautiful. Wow. I got chills as you're explaining that with such passion and conviction. I, I think that's something that we can all we can all take away from that. This is uh this has been nothing short of achieving the highest expectations that I had for this beautiful conversation. And I'm sure our listeners are saying the same thing right now. Um thank you as we're wrapping because time goes by like very quickly when we have these conversations um what what advice you've just turned 60 become a grandma you're entering this beautiful phase of your life where you've you've lived some life and you've lived these insane experiences and stories and you've seen these dots connect what advice do you have to young people maybe in their 20s maybe in their early 30s what advice do you have to young people that are trying to figure it all out uh, laugh, mm. laugh a lot. Uh, more importantly, live life by a set of values uh, that that matter, that are that have a moral compass. Then, when you make have to make those tough decisions, it'll be easy for you because you have a moral compass of values that you go to. Uh, figure out what they are. Know what they are. And I think one of my things, my favorite things that I've always uh, said to all of you is you don't find yourself in life. You create yourself in life by the choices you make and understanding that each choice has a consequence, whether it's positive or negative. It's like a science. It really is that way. Um, You can't have hot without cold. You can't have good without bad. Mm. And so sometimes maybe postpone that instant gratification and think of the long-term consequences of your choices and understand deeply how that's going to affect not only you and in the choice you're making but the people around you and the individual that's getting the consequence of that um and you know i think enjoy each moment i think one of my favorite things is turning 60 is for me i didn't really want presence with the tea, I wanted the presence of the people that I loved. And that to me is the most important gift that any human can get is the gift of, of love, of, of community, of people around you. And I had it in spades on my 60th and, and just to arrive at that time with all that love and gratitude and having people know that is, and you get to that point in life by living an authentic you, don't try to be like anybody mm. else. Just be you. I've always said each of you are born with your own special gifts. And I didn't want you to be anything other than what you are able to 
be using those gifts that you were born, whether it was an artist, a, a writer, a, a businessman, whatever it was, a doctor, a nurse, whatever. If you're using the gifts that are yours mm. uniquely, then you will be authentic and you will achieve all these different things in life. So, so beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. If, if anybody wonders why I'm so grateful and have a generally grateful disposition in life, you now have the answer. This there, is one, one quick thing. Yes. The, about being a grandmother. Yes. I, I yeah. To, let's hear it. I think one of the most incredible, like I said, once I had my children, then my next sight was having my grandchildren. And having a grandchild is getting to relive those moments that you had with your child. Like holding my grandbaby just brings me back to mm. holding each one of you. And as I look at him and know that he is uniquely him and what life is going to unfold for him is so mind-blowing and so exciting. And it's a different mindset than when you see it when you're young. And so when you're a grandparent, it's like, okay, you've already seen that with your child and gone through that process. And now you get to relive it again, but in a realm of pure ecstasy because you don't have the true responsibility <laughs> yeah. of doing a lot of the mundane things that parenting uh, does to you know to yeah a child so it's, it's like the reward <laughs> it really is the reward that's of, good of parenting is being a grandparent so i just wanted to i love that that's so good okay. amazing well i love you mama thank you so much you um gosh. and uh until next time until next time